Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mideast soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. When the religious affairs minister of Guinea-Conakry visited Jeddah last week, his Saudi counterpart gifted him 50,000 Qurans. Saudi Islamic Affairs Minister Abdul Latif bin Abdulaziz al-Sheikh offered the holy books as part of his ministry's efforts to print and distribute them and spread their teachings. The Qurans were produced by the King Fahad complex for the printing of the Holy Quran, which annually distributes millions of copies. Scholar Nora Derbal asserts that the Qurans perpetuate a distinct Wahhabi reading of the scripture. Similarly, Saudi Arabia distributed in Afghanistan in the last years of the US-backed government of President Ashraf Ghani, thousands of Qurans produced by the printing complex, according to Mr. Ghani's former education minister, Mirwais Balkhi. Mr. Balkhi indicated in an interview that the Qurans were identical to those distributed by the kingdom for decades. Mr. Ghani and Mr. Balkhi fled Afghanistan last year as US troops withdrew from the country and the Taliban took over. Human Rights Watch and Impact SE, an education-focused Israeli research group, reported last year that Saudi Arabia, pressured for some two decades post 9-11 by the United States and others to remove supremacist references to Jews, Christians, and Shiites in its school books, had recently made significant progress in doing so. However, the two groups noted that Saudi Arabia had kept in place fundamental concepts of an ultra-conservative, anti-pluralistic, and intolerant interpretation of Islam. The same appears true for the world's largest printer and distributor of Qurans, the King Fahad complex. Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has since his rise in 2015 been primarily focused on social and economic rather than religious reform. Mr. bin Salman significantly enhanced professional and personal opportunities for women, including lifting the ban on women's driving and loosening gender segregation, and enabled the emergence of a Western-style entertainment sector in the once austere kingdom. Saudi pressure on Salafism in Saudi Arabia will primarily focus on social aspects of Salafi teaching while doctrinal aspects will probably receive less attention, suggested Saudi Islam scholar Besnik Sinani. Nevertheless, the continued production and distribution of Qurans that included unaltered ultra-conservative interpretations sits uneasily with Mr. bin Salman's effort to emphasize nationalism rather than religion as the core of Saudi identity and project a more moderate and tolerant projection of the kingdom's Islam. The Saudi spin is not in the Arabic text of the Quran that is identical irrespective of who, of who prints it, but in parenthetical editions, primarily in translated versions, 
that modify the meaning of specific Quranic passages. Commenting in 2005 on the King Fahd Complex's English translation, the most widely disseminated Quran in the English-speaking world, the late Islam scholar Khalil Muhammad asserted that it reads more like a supremacist Muslim, anti-Semitic, and anti-Christian polemic than a rendition of the Islamic scripture. Religion scholar Peter Mandeville noted in a recently published book on decades of Saudi export of ultra-conservative Islam that it is the kingdom's outsized role in the printing and distribution of the Quran as rendered in other languages that becomes relevant in the pre present context. Mr. Sinani and this author contributed chapters to Mr. Mandeville's edited volume. The King Fahad Complex said that it had produced 18 million copies of its various publications in 2017 and 2018 in multiple languages in its most recent production figures. Earlier, it reported that it had printed and distributed 127 million copies of the Quran in the 22 years between 1985 and 2007. The complex did not respond to emailed queries on whether parenthetical texts have recently been changed. The apparent absence of revisions of parenthetical texts reinforces suggestions that Mr. bin Salman is more concerned about socio-political considerations, regime survival, and the projection of the kingdom as countering extremism and jihadism than he is about reforming Saudi Islam. It also spotlights the tension between the roles Saudi Arabia envisions as the custodian of Islam's holiest cities, Mecca and Medina, and the needs of a modern state that wants to attract foreign investment to help wean its economy off dependency on oil exports. Finally, the continued distribution of seemingly unaltered Qurans speaks to the balance of Mr. bin Salman may still need to strike with the country's once powerful religious establishment, despite subjugating the clergy to his will. The continued global distribution of unaltered Quran commentary calls into question the sincerity of the Saudi moderation campaign, particularly when juxtaposed with rival efforts by other major Muslim countries to protect themselves as beacons of a moderate form of Islam. Last week, Saudi Arabia's Muslim World League convened some 100 Christian, Jewish, Hindu, and Buddhist religious leaders to establish a set of values common to all major world religions and a vision for enhancing understanding, cooperation, and solidarity among world religions. Once a major Saudi vehicle for the global propagation of Saudi religious ultra-conservatism, the League has been turned into Mr. bin Salman's megaphone. It issues lofty statements and organizes high-profile conferences that project Saudi Arabia as a leader of moderation and an example of tolerance. The League, under the leadership of former Justice Minister Mohammed al-Issa, has emphasized its outreach to Jewish leaders and communities. 
Mr. Al Issa led a delegation of religious Muslim leaders in 2020 on a groundbreaking visit to the remains of Auschwitz, the notorious Nazi extermination camp in Poland. However, there is little evidence beyond Mr. Al Issa's gestures, statements, and engagement with Jewish leaders that the League has joined in a practical way the fight against anti-Semitism that, like Islamophobia, is on the rise. Similarly, Saudi moderation has not meant that the kingdom has lifted its ban on building non-Muslim houses of worship on its territory. The Riyadh conference followed Dadatul Ulama's footsteps, the world's largest Muslim civil society movement, with 90 million followers in the world's largest Muslim-majority country and most populous democracy. Nadatul Ulama leader Yahya Chulil Stakuf spoke at the conference. In recent years, the Indonesian group has forged alliances with evangelical entities like the World Evangelical Alliance, or WEA, Jewish organizations and religious leaders, and various Muslim groups across the globe. Nadatul Ulama sees the alliances as a way to establish common ground based on shared humanitarian values that would enable them to counter discrimination and religion-driven prejudice, bigotry, and violence. Nadatul Ulama's concept of humanitarian Islam advocates reform of what it deems obsolete and problematic elements of Islamic law, including those that encourage segregation, discrimination, and or violence towards anyone perceived to be a non-Muslim. It further accepts the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, unlike the Saudis, without reservations. The unrestricted embrace of the UN Declaration by Indonesia and its largest Muslim movement has meant that conversion, considered to be apostasy under Islamic law, is legal in the Southeast Asian nation. As a result, Indonesia, unlike Middle Eastern states where Christian communities have dwindled due to conflict, wars, and targeted attacks, has witnessed significant growth of its Christian communities. Christians account for 10% of Indonesia's population. Researchers Dwayne Alexander Miller and Patrick Johnstone reported in 2015 that 6.5 million Indonesians had converted to Christianity since 1960. That is not to say that Christians and other non-Muslim minorities have not endured attacks on churches, suicide bombings, and various forms of discrimination. The attacks have prompted Nahabatul Ulama's 5 million strong militia to protect churches in vulnerable areas during holidays such as Christmas. It has also trained Christians to enable them to watch over their houses of worship. Putting its money where its mouth is, a gathering of 20,000 Nadatul Ulama religious scholars issued in 2019 a fatwa or religious opinion, eliminating the Muslim legal concept of the kafir or infidel. 12 years earlier, the group's then spiritual leader and former Indonesian president, Abdurrahman Wahid, together with the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles, organized a conference in the archipelago state 
to acknowledge the Holocaust and denounce denial of the Nazi genocide against the Jews. The meeting came on the heels of a gathering in Tehran, convened by then Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad that denied the existence of the Holocaust. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at www.jamesmdorsey.net. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.